Long History A Journal of the First Voyage of Vasco da Gama Part 3 Rounding the Cape of Good Hope Hello everyone and welcome again to Long History. At the moment we're looking at the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, but we've covered voyages by many other explorers here on Long History. We like to give you the source documents, but split them up into 10 minute chunks or so, so they're a bit more digestible. Now this is part 3 of a 15 part series, so please subscribe to be informed of the release of the other episodes. In the previous episode, Vasco da Gama visited various Atlantic islands, including the Canaries, the Cape Verde Islands, and finally reached St Helena, where a friendly-seeming encounter with the local people quickly turned to violence. In this episode, Vasco da Gama continues his journey to the South Atlantic, eventually reaching the African mainland, rounding the Cape of Good Hope, and reaching the limits of previous exploration by Vasco da Gama's predecessor, Bartholomew Diaz. Although already innovative, it's at that point where Vasco da Gama's journey takes on its world-changing significance. So here we go with the Journal of the First Voyage of Vasco da Gama, Part 3, Rounding the Cape of Good Hope. Rounding the Cape At daybreak of Thursday the 16th of November, having careened our ships and taken in wood, we set sail. At that time, we did not know how far we might be abaft the Cape of Good Hope. Pedro d'Alenquer thought the distance about 30 leagues, but he was not certain. For on his return voyage, this is referring to the previous voyage with Bartholomew Diaz, he had left the Cape in the morning and had gone past this bay with the wind astern, whilst on the outward voyage, He had kept at sea, and was therefore unable to identify the locality where we now were. We therefore stood out towards the south-southwest, and late on Saturday, we beheld the Cape. On that same day, we again stood out to sea, returning to the land in the course of the night. On Sunday morning, November the 19th, We once more made for the Cape, but were again unable to round it, for the wind blew from the south-southwest, while the Cape juts out towards the south-west. We then again stood out to sea, returning to the land on Monday night. At last, on Wednesday, at noon, having the wind astern, we succeeded in doubling the Cape, and then ran along the coast. To the south of this Cape of Good Hope, and close to it, a vast bay, six leagues broad at its mouth, enters about six leagues into the land. The Bay of Salbrage Late on Saturday, November the 25th, the day of St. Catherine's, we entered the Bay of Salbrage, where we remained for thirteen days, for there we broke up our storeship and transferred her contents to the other vessels. On Friday, while still in the Bay of Salbrage, about 90 men resembling those we had met in St. Helena Bay made their appearance. Some of them walked along the beach, whilst others remained upon the hills. All, or most of us, were, at the time, in the Captain Major's vessel. As soon as we saw them, We launched and armed the boats, 
and started for the land. When close to the shore, the Captain Major threw them little round bells, which they picked up. They even ventured to approach us, and took some of these bells from the Captain Major's hand. This surprised us greatly, for when Bartholomew Diaz was here, the natives fled without taking any of the objects which he offered them. Nay, on one occasion, when Diaz was taking in water close to the beach, they sought to prevent him, and when they pelted him with stones from a hill, he killed one of them with the arrow of a crossbow. It appeared to us that they did not fly on this occasion, because they had heard from the people at the Bay of St. Helena, only sixty leagues distant by sea, that there was no harm in us, and that we even gave away things which were ours. The Captain Major did not land at this spot, because there was much bush, but proceeded to an open part of the beach, when he made signs to the local people to approach. This they did. The Captain Major and the other captains then landed, being attended by armed men, some of whom carried crossbows. He then made the local people understand by signs that they were to disperse and to approach him only singly or in couples. To those who approached he gave small bells and red caps, in return for which they presented him with ivory bracelets, such as they wore on their arms, for it appears that elephants are plentiful in this country. We actually found some of their droppings near the watering place where they had gone to drink. On Saturday, about 200 local people came, both young and old. They brought with them about a dozen oxen and cows and four or five sheep. As soon as we saw them, we went ashore. They, forthwith, began to play on four or five flutes, some producing high notes and others low ones, thus making a pretty harmony for such people, who were not expected to be musicians, and they danced in the style of such people. The Captain Major then ordered the trumpets to be sounded, and we in the boats danced, and the Captain Major did so likewise when he rejoined us. This festivity ended, we landed where we had landed before, and bought a black ox for three bracelets. This ox we dined off on Saturday. We found him very fat, and his meat as toothsome as the beef of Portugal. On Sunday, many visitors came, and brought with them their women and little boys, the women remaining on the top of a hill near the sea. They had with them many oxen and cows. Having collected in two spots on the beach, they played and danced as they had done on Saturday. It is the custom of this people for the young men to remain in the bush with their weapons. The men came to converse with us. They carried a short stick in the hand, attached to which was a fox's tail, with which they fanned the face. While conversing with them by signs, we observed the young men crouching in the bush, holding their weapons in their hands. The Captain Major then ordered Martin Afonso, who had formerly been in Manicongo, to advance and to buy an ox, for which purpose he was supplied with bracelets. The natives, having accepted the bracelets, took him by the hand 
and pointing to the watering place, asked him why we took away their water, and simultaneously drove their cattle into the bush. When the Captain Major observed this, he ordered us to gather together, and called upon Martin Afonso to retreat, for he suspected some treachery. Having drawn together, we proceeded to the place where we had been at first. The locals followed us. The Captain Major then ordered us to land, armed with lances, assegais, and strung crossbows, and wearing our breastplates, for he wanted to show that we had the means of doing them an injury, although we had no desire to employ them. When they observed this, they ran away. The Captain Major, anxious that none should be killed by mischance, ordered the boats to draw together, but to prove that we were able, although unwilling, to hurt them, he ordered two bombards to be fired from the poop of the longboat. They were by that time all seated close to the bush, not far from the beach, but the first discharge caused them to retreat so precipitately that in their flight they dropped the skins with which they were covered and their weapons. When they were in the bush, two of them turned back to pick up the articles which had been dropped. They then continued their flight to the top of a hill, driving their cattle before them. The oxen of this country are as large as those of Alemtejo, wonderfully fat and very tame. They are geldings and hornless. Upon the fattest among them, the local people place a pack-saddle made of reeds, as is done in Castile, and upon this saddle they place a kind of litter made of sticks, upon which they ride. If they wish to sell an ox, they pass a stick through his nostrils, and thus lead him. There is an island in this bay, three bowshots from the land, where there are many seals. Some of these are as big as bears, very formidable, with large tusks. These attack man, and no spear, whatever the force with which it is thrown, can wound them. There are others much smaller, and others quite small. And whilst the big ones roar like lions, the little ones cry like goats. One day, when we approached this island for our amusement, we counted, among large and small ones, three thousand and we fired among them with our bombards from the sea. On the same island there are birds as big as ducks, but they cannot fly, because they have no feathers on their wings. These birds, of whom we killed as many as we chose, are called fotilicaios, and they bray like asses. Whilst taking in water in this bay of Saint-Brage, on a Wednesday, we erected a cross and a pillar. The cross was made out of a mizzenmast and very high. On the following Thursday, when about to set sail, we saw about ten or twelve of the local people who demolished both the cross and the pillar before we had left. Saint-Brage de Natal Having taken on board all we stood in need of, we took our departure. But as the wind failed us, we anchored the same day having proceeded only two leagues. On Friday morning, the day of the Immaculate Conception, we again set sail. 
on Tuesday, the eve of Santa Lucia, we encountered a great storm and ran before a stern wind with the foresail much lowered. On that day we lost sight of Nicolau Coelho, but at sunset we saw him from the top, four or five leagues astern, and it seemed as if he saw us too. We exhibited signal lights and lay too. By the end of the first watch, he had come up with us, not because he had seen us during the day, but because the wind being scant, he could not help coming in our waters. On the morning of Friday, we saw land near the Ilheos Chaus, flat islands. These are five leagues beyond the Ilheo da Cruz, cross island. From the Bay of saint Brage to Cross Island is a distance of 60 leagues, and as much from the Cape of Good Hope to the Bay of saint Brage. From the flat islands to the last pillar erected by Bartholomew Diaz is 5 leagues, and from this pillar to the Rio de Infante is 15 leagues. So although there's no fanfare here, this is in fact one of the most significant parts of the journey. Bartholomew Diaz had got there first, he was da Gama's predecessor in exploration of this area, but he only made it so far around the Cape of Good Hope area before he had to return. Da Gama has now reached that point and is about to push forward and in doing so open up that route to the Indies for Portugal and Europe as a whole. Now the Bay of saint Brage mentioned a few times here is today's Mossel Bay, not sure how to say that, and the other islands that are mentioned are very small islets to the east and west of the wide Algoa Bay. In the next episode this section of the text will continue and the crew will continue on their journey to the place they call Natal in the area of today's Durban. Thank you for listening everyone, if you've made it to this point in the episode I hope it's because you've liked it so please if you can please do drop a like before you move on. Remember to share the episode with any like-minded people as well to help promote Long History and its mission, to give people eyewitness history and to rescue these documents from the archives. Thank you for listening everyone and goodbye.